0: Canadians need to start having more kids. We shouldn't be shy about that fact. We should all be more pro-family, pro-kids, and pro-mothers. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. So, as you saw in recent uh, weeks and months, and with the budget being rolled out by the Trudeau Liberals, part of what they've announced is that they've reached a deal with all of the provinces to introduce a $10 per day childcare program. This is modeled after the Quebec uh, public daycare program. So, we now have government daycares all over the country uh, rolling out. Many people are celebrating this fact. Many people, even on the right, are excited about the idea that more mothers will be able to get back into the workforce and that. They'll have a place to put their kids. It may even encourage uh, families to have more kids. Uh, I I found this incredibly arrogant. Uh, Chrystia Freeland, the deputy prime minister in the House of Commons, um, called this policy women's liberation, an example of feminist policy in action. So I want to quickly play that clip for you. Here it is. We have now signed agreements on early learning and child care. With every single province and territory in our great country. this is women's liberation. It will mean more women no longer need to choose between motherhood Yay. and. A career. Yeah. This is feminist economic policy in action and it will make life more affordable for middle-class Canadian families. So so Chrystia Freeland very boldly says that women will no longer have to choose between having a family or having a career, as as if that is really the the major struggle that women in today's world have. Well, uh, someone who, who writes about this issue and speaks very clearly on it is Ginny Ross. So I wanted to invite her on the podcast today to discuss it. Ginny is the vice president at Crestview Strategy. She's worked at Queen's Park, was a party organizer for the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario and has been a lifelong political activist. She's a contributor over at The Hub. She writes occasionally for The National Post and is a frequent panelist on television and radio outlets. Jenny, it's great to have you on the program.
1: Thanks, Candace.
0: So, uh, well, first, I just want to get your quick reaction on the government, uh, $10 a day government uh, daycare, whether you think that that will, uh, as Chrissy Freeland claims, uh, sort of solve women's liberation and allow women to have it all, have both uh, family and uh, career as, as so many women struggle with.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I find it offensive on a number of fronts and maybe it's worth going through them because I think they're all important. One is... Well, first there's a the policy matter, which is will the will the program even work? Like will there actually be all these new childcare spaces that are affordable for um people of different incomes across Canada? And I think we have all sorts of reasons to be skeptical of that. If you look at the Quebec model that they're um trying to imitate or bring across the country, uh there's massive wait lists for it. Um uh it's hurt people who want a different option for childcare and can't Go with the nine to five because they work different hours. Maybe they're a shift worker, whatever. So there's almost no flexibility. The actual program itself, there have been studies that uh, the outcome for children aren't great. Um, there are all, all sorts of reasons why it's bad public policy. Even if you believe that it will increase flexible childcare, which I don't. Um, her comments uh, around the, the premise of, first of all, women's liberation, I mean, I think most women in Canada feel pretty liberated. I don't know that people feel there's like an academic epidemic of women being held down by public policy in Canada. Um, second of all, and, and uh, it's sort of the same point, I think you know you and I both, I, I won't speak for my husband. Um, I, I follow your husband. Uh, I know a lot of other men who are really active in their kids' lives who also want better childcare options. <laughs> like it's a very strange thing to make this about women when. Um, In a lot of cases, you have parents who are making choices about their lives, uh, who want more flexibility, who want more options, and yes, maybe both want to pursue careers and have a way of of having their uh, children cared for while they work, Um, but what does that say about uh, about, uh, those men who are really active, uh, in many cases, in their kids' lives, that uh, child care I doesn't have anything to do with them, seemingly, according to the federal finance minister. So, I mean, I could go on, but there are so many ways that I find that uh, a problematic uh, comment from her relative to well, the program. It-
0: yeah, and it's funny, too, because I talked to a lot of my uh, female friends about this, the idea that um, you know th- women can have it all, we can have successful careers that are meaningful and fulfilling, and then we can also have these uh, f- meaningful, fulfilling family lives with with, with uh, great supportive husbands and children. And it's sort of a paradox, because when you become a parent, you realize that your time is limited. And so the, 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 the actual struggle is, where do you want to put your time? Do you want to spend more of your time in a day job that you might not even get a lot of satisfaction from? you might not even love um, and you're forgoing time with your children, these like incredibly important fleeting moments where they're learning to talk and speak and uh, walk and uh, all these milestones and and so this idea that oh the government solved the problem all you have to do is just drop your kid off at some government daycare and voila like your life will be happy it's 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 insulting and 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 even more so to your point that it, it excludes men from the conversation because it, it's expected that, that men are gonna be working and that, that it's women that have to make this this struggle um i, I want to uh, ask you about a piece that you wrote uh, over at the Hub, I thought it was really interesting. You said, don't be shy about it. Family values and babies are good things. You talked a little bit about how there's a revitalization, particularly on the right, um, with natalism and, and this, people having more conversations about how we we need to have more kids, we should have more kids, and we shouldn't be shy about it. But how elite opinion, sort of, uh, you know, the experts don't want to talk about it because it's it's irky and it's personal. Um, what What made you want to champion this issue and 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 what what makes you so confident and brave to to go out there and and speak about it
1: um i was sort of triggered by a by a series of paul Krugman tweets that i mentioned in the in the story it's people should check it out but it was sort of um this this analysis that uh and i think this is true of lots of sort of like centrist thinkers of which most economists would consider themselves centrist. i think or maybe left of center uh and and liberals who think that. the the only thing that matters when it comes to families and their size are sort of like economic measures and this question of like people in the workforce and that because we now put women in the workforce that means we have equality or we're trying to achieve equality therefore birth rates have dropped and that's that makes it okay and the only people according to krugman who want to see birth rates go up are people who are religious you know god forbid um uh, so so I, I, my, my reaction to that was just so visceral because I had in following this issue noticed that actually there are some really strong demographers who've studied the issue in great, great detail and no one has a perfect answer to why birth rates are dropping basically all over the world. Um, but what we do know is that when you ask people, they want to have more kids than they're having. And that includes women. It's especially true of women. To an earlier point you were making, many women um, would choose to stay home. Many people would choose to stay home if they could, if they could afford to, if they could have a single family home. Um, There's a a candidate for Senate in um, Arizona right now named Blake Masters, who's running on this premise of imagine if you could support a family on one income. And I think what he does with his political messaging is really smart and correct of what's part of what I tried to do in my column, which is we don't need to choose between an economic policy solution or a social policy solution. Um, it's both right. Our culture and our social environment, um, which dictate the public policy choices we make are what impact um, these kinds of big macro trends. And if we think that people aren't having enough kids, which I think we can all agree that the goal of public policy is to give people better, more fulfilled, happier lives. And they're telling us in surveys they want more kids than they're having. There's obviously a problem there. Um, and what he gets at with his with his messaging is um, Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a cost of living challenge. Maybe there's, I mean, in Canada, we know inflation is a big problem. We know people can, um, in many cases, parents are choosing not to buy beef at the grocery store right now because um, groceries are so expensive. They're, they're opting out to fill their car with gas. Uh, and so those material challenges, plus a culture that is telling women that they're not uh, fulfilling their duty unless they're working uh, for some sort of feminist cause, I think those things are starting to pile up and they're starting to really influence the choices people are making. And ultimately, people are making choices they're not happy with uh, and they're having fewer kids. And by the time um, they decide they maybe want to have more, they're disappointed in that it's too late uh, because there are imperatives we don't like to talk about, biological imperatives we don't like to talk about because it's not uncomfortable. Uh, but, I, but I think we should because if people aren't achieving their desired birth rate, um, that's a problem for their happiness and their fulfillment and, and for society.
0: Well, you can look at uh, surveys tracking women's happiness in particular i mean across society our society is becoming less and less happy and fulfilled self reporting uh, but women in particular is gone down you uh, know s- s- markedly and i know, you know for, for for my generation it was like go to college get a career, exactly what you're saying women's liberation it's like your duty to go out and and put career first and then you get to the point where you're like well you know i've gone to university i've, I've put all this energy and investment into my a career. I, I need to go fulfill that. And I know that so many women that go off and, and find careers that they hate and then they're unhappy with and, and you know, really high, high level, high achieving people, lawyers, doctors, those kind of things, and they realize it's not really what they want. So so fundamentally, I think it is uh, cultural, but there is that economic component uh, I, I hear more and more conservatives talking about how the, you know Canada needs to get to a place where a family can survive on one income. Uh, that seems so foreign, especially in a city like Toronto, where I think the average home is now like two million dollars or something like that. So so many families are working so hard with two incomes just to save up to buy a house, or you know to the point you're making uh, these crazy times with inflation, buying gas and buying uh, meat. I mean, I, I think a lot of people put off. Childhood, uh, having kids, motherhood, parenthood, because they can't afford it or they think they need those two incomes. So, wh- wh- what do you do? You think we're just beyond the point now where uh, a single single income household can can sustain? I mean, I grew up in a household where my dad worked and my mom was a stay at home mom and she never had a job, and that was kind of the norm in in my community in Vancouver. I guess in the eighties and nineties, uh, it doesn't seem like anyone does that anymore. Every every family I know, every couple I know has a working two working spouses or two working parents. Do, do you think we can get back to that, that place where, where we have an economy where you only need one income to survive?
1: I do. Uh, it seems a long way off. I mean, to your point, I think there are many people with two incomes who can't afford a home, let alone one. Um, but I think it's a lot of goal. And I think more importantly, we need to discipline the, the, the public conversation around this issue. I think the vast majority of people who speak publicly uh, on public policy would say, well, the federal government, especially, but governments in general just can't impact something like a birth rate. It's too hard. Um, are, you know, social policy is is really narrow and it's the purview of, of local governments at most. But, you know, we shouldn't be interfering in people's bedrooms and that kind of thing. Uh, but I think we need to be more clear with people about the fact that um, economic policy, like a policy, like, like, and they're all choices by the way, like the housing crisis exists because of choices that politicians have made to favor NIMBYism um and people who want, uh, who don't want to see no homes built over people who are shut up at the housing market. That's a choice. A public policy makers make that choice every day. And, you, you know, you could apply that to all sorts of um, some of the, the policy choices that led to the inflation uh, inflationary situation we're in right now, not just on homes, but on, but on other fronts. Um, all of these public policy choices have have um, implications, and I think that they are having an impact on on at least how open Canada is as a country to, or how encouraging Canada is the country to people to grow their families and pursue their their dreams um, that we know that they want, and so. Um, so it does seem far off, but I think it's possible. And I think our pub, our, our body politic should pressure politicians to, to try to speak to that. Um, and, and I think politicians who are trying to speak to that are gonna find that it's fertile ground for them politically because they're gonna speak to to people who, um, who have been making uh, certain choices about their lives because they think politicians don't have answers. And all of a sudden they'll realize actually, there may be public policy that could change this. If I could all of a sudden afford a house, maybe I'd have a second kit, maybe I'd have a third kit.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's definitely intertwined there. Are there any examples of pro-family, pro-natal policies around the world that have worked. I just anecdotally, I was in Singapore like 10 years ago and they had this like weird campaign where they were trying to encourage uh, people to have babies and they had like kind of almost creepy billboards up. Um, I think they had like a national date night or something where they were like encouraging parents to go out and go on dates and make babies, essentially. Um, I, I don't know if that was actually successful or not. I'm wondering if you've looked into this at all and if you know of any...
1: Most demographers are pretty agreed that these kind of experiments aren't working very well. Um, the one exception and Outlier is um, Hungary, which uh, you know, people on the right of center know Hungary as this kind of like nationalist, um, really you know, uh, uh right-wing government that's sort of like the example of a right-wing nationalist government um, uh, really pushing forward lots of public policy, uh, new public policy in the last say five, 10 years, five years certainly. And they have actually increased their birth rate and they're like very explicit about you. You basically pay no taxes if you have more than like four or five kids <laughs> in Hungary. Um, they've made it, they've chosen to really like lower the burden and try to incentivize through financial means um, people having kids. And uh, it has made a bit of a difference. So it, it is possible. That's a pretty that's a pretty like blunt instrument. Um, I think that whether or not you get the result you want I still think the public policy choices we make and the way leaders talk culturally about what's important and what's not matters and send signals to people. Um, you know, I, I'll jump back really quickly to a point you were making about what it was like for art. I think we were from a similar generation um, growing up. Uh, and for me, uh, for my generation growing up in a pretty atheistic urban environment. Um, it was just not viewed as something that a young woman should want um, to grow a family and to have kids. Uh, And I think you're now seeing a trend of, frankly, like a business market for the fertility industry, Um, not just uh, just the obvious um, medical interventions to try to increase people's fertility, which they should obviously pursue, but but like devices even to track uh, your ability to get pregnant later in life and, um, this whole marketplace of, of uh, capitalizing on women who in their mid or late 30s are choosing to have kids. Um, uh, and it, you know, it's great that they are, but in many cases, I think uh, certainly anecdotally, you're starting to hear people who, uh, women, who didn't really quite realize that the choices they've made would mean that their, that their childbearing would be delayed and then tougher, and that they, it may, be, may not be possible to, for them to have the big families that they want. And I, I think that's a bit of a failure on the public policy front too. If, we're, if we've created a, a public health education environment where women don't know what their most fertile years are, uh, it's uncomfortable to talk about, but I think that's a problem. And I think we owe it to people to make sure they have all the information they need to make the best possible choice. Um, they should have better material economic circumstances, better information, and they should feel like they can make the best possible choice to, to pursue a happy end that they see for themselves.
0: Well, just, again, speaking anecdotally from, like, my friend group, it seems like everyone focused so much on education and career development in their 20s, and then 30s was a time that they started having kids, and, you know, it's just objectively harder to have kids when you're in your 30s because you're a little bit older, and, and, you know, you, you talk about all all of these devices, you can track your ovulation cycles and that kind of thing. There's also been a huge boom in uh, IVF treatments. I I know in Ontario it's it's paid for uh, by the government, but they're still privately run and there's clinics kind of popping up everywhere because so many people kind of, again, just didn't realize how difficult it might be to have uh, children in their 30s. I, I know, again, just from my group of friends, some some families that have struggled to with that and struggled to have kids and end up going the adoption route. Um, I, you know, I, I see some hope because I have some friends that are also in their 20s and some colleagues, uh, and I see them having kids earlier. It, and it's sort of, to me, uh, reassuring that maybe that messaging has changed a little bit, although I don't know if that's just very niche. And uh, that most most women are continuing on that same path of focusing on career in their 20s and then trying to have a family um, in, in their 30s. I, I wonder in Canada, I, I have another friend from Denmark, and she's talking about how they get paid to have kids. Uh, the government actually gives them like a bonus. And this idea of like, maybe if you have a big family, you shouldn't pay income taxes, or you should have a different tax structure. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you think that something like that could work in Canada? And do you see anyone talking about it? I know there's a Conservative leadership race going on right now or any of the candidates talking about it. Is this something that you've heard uh, come up at all? I mean, it kind of
1: exists in Canada. This was a Stephen Harper um, uh, innovation, policy innovation that the Liberals have actually continued. We don't, They don't talk about it a lot, but it was, you know, Stephen Harper came up with sending parents checks in the mail to uh, as a way, and frankly, it was in response to the liberal sort of cradle to grave, the only option we can dream of um, to encourage people to have kids is to sort of institutionalize childcare. Um, you know, and, and, and the, infamously when Stephen Harper first floated the idea of people giving back cash, cash to parents instead to make their own choices, to spend, you know, to maybe give to a grandparent to care for the kid, to subsidize the grandparent's income or to a neighbor or, um, or to defray the cost of staying home for a stay-at-home parent. Um, uh, a liberal strategist infamously said people would spend it on beer and popcorn, which I think tells you everything you need to know about um, about liberals uh, thinking people can spend, better spend their own money. Um, but 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 actually, uh, uh, American demographers look to the Harper example as 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 something that can work. Um, and Biden did something similar uh, very recently, like near the tail end of COVID, um, as part of his stimulus. A big part of it was, and, and he was you know he worked with Mitt Romney and other right of center legislators in the US uh, to, to send people cash. Uh, people who were either pregnant uh, and expecting a, ch- a child or who or, or had a young child at home um, as a way of kind of encouraging people to and rewarding people for, um, uh, for, for making that choice uh, in the context of COVID and, and or rewarding is the wrong word, more like not penalizing them for making that choice or removing the penalty and making it a bit easier. Uh, I have all sorts of commentary on Biden stimulus spending, which I think is part, part of the problem with inflation, but um, it is clear that there was a little mini baby boom after those checks were delivered because it gave people a bit of material comfort that you know coming out of COVID, they might be able to afford to make that choice to have that, that baby. Um, and, so, and, and, and this is consistent with what demographers have found, which is that material support can help a little bit, but not all the way. There are other cultural factors at play um, and if you can defray some of the cost or give some people some money back uh, in their pocket to feel like it will be such a penalty to have a kid, um, and that's really what it is—removing the penalty of having a kid—it can make a difference. Um, there, there is still this persistent challenge of dropping birth rates um, in most Western countries around the world, and that extra gap, that extra cultural gap, most people attribute to like declining religiosity, increased workism, as they call it, which is sort of like what you described, this, this, this fixation on building your career before you have kids. And I think that, um, and to the point of, the, of my column, I think that has to be addressed by culture, by leaders uh, encouraging um, people to pursue the way of life that they want. But the material can help. It can make a difference at the margins.
0: It's interesting that uh, Biden took a sort of a page from Harper, although it's interesting just to note that, so Harper introduced the child care benefit as an alternative to government daycare. Trudeau kept it and expanded it. And then in addition, also brought in government daycare. So we now have two policy solutions trying to address the same problem. I've always been interested in the sort of difference between the Canadian model and the American model, because it's sort of an experiment playing out in real time. And I, my sister lives in the US. Uh, I've got a bunch of friends down there. And it's, it's really interesting because most Companies don't give extended maternity leave. The government doesn't re- uh, mandate it. I have so many friends that literally six weeks after the baby's born, and they're back at their desk. And you know, for anyone who's been around a six-week-old baby, uh, that's that's kind of shocking that, that that's what mothers do. But what I find in the US is that it's much more binary. Like so many women just don't go back to work. It's just, that's the decision. Once they start having kids, it's like they're unwilling to go back to work because they're not gonna go back that early and they don't like the options. Whereas in Canada, we have this very generous year-long maternity leave program, and it's great uh, for moms. They don't have to worry about it some of them even take longer. I think some uh, government jobs you can take up to two years or up to a year and a half and they hold your position, which seems on the surface very pro mother, pro family. Uh, but then you get to the problem where, you know, the child is two and three and e- e- you know, the mother feels the need to go back to her career. She doesn't want to lose that job. But then at the same time, there's not a good place to leave the kid. And I guess that's the solution that Chrystia Freeland and Trudeau are, are touting here. Uh, I'm just wondering, as someone who spends time thinking about this, do you you think the Canadian model is objectively better? uh, Or or do you think that that perhaps there's problems with it that we don't see because uh, we we like to think of ourselves as more generous and and more in this regard pro-mother, but I don't know if if necessarily that's the case. And I I think the US still has higher birth rates than Canada does.
1: Yeah, I don't know that it's better from a a direct birth rate um, uh, perspective. I think it's better... Um, if your goal and, and I think my, this is my goal is to get more, to a greater neutrality that doesn't penalize parents for choosing to stay home, uh, because the longer the leave you offer to a point, um, the more uh, I think people feel like they don't have to have that, make that binary choice so early in a, in a baby's life. And I think that's good. I think that's a, a, a good in and of itself. Um, and I think it plays out in positive ways in Canada. Um, but what the problem comes when you have legislators using the kind of language Freeland did, where you start to talk about like the moralism of women going back to work every, in every single instance or parents going back to work in every single instance, because it starts to um, creep into the policy decision-making that the goal isn't to give people choice or flexibility or to be neutral about childbearing. Uh, the cho- the the public policy goal is to get as many people working as possible because people are just you know GDP contributing units of economic um, input and that is the true uh, end of gender equality. That is when I start to get really uncomfortable and I worry that um, uh, constant enhancements and fixation on um, uh, uh, cradle to grave childcare policy. Um, uh, it, are are in pursuit of that end as opposed to the end of uh, uh, women and men and parents in general making the best choice for their family and for what's going to make them the happiest and contribute the most to like a thriving society and culture in Canada.
0: Well, it reminds me of uh, another piece you had in The Hub last year, uh, where you were talking about conservatives, and you wrote this, a conservative feminism should drop labor force partic- participation as the only measure of gender equality, you argued that the liberal approach has failed, and that not all women are interested in full-time work, nor is it best for their families. So uh, just final question for you, can you, can you elaborate? And, and how do you think uh, conservative feminism, if you want to use that uh, term, what, what should it focus on instead instead of uh, labor force equality?
1: Um, I, I, mean, I I think I'll repeat myself a little bit just to say that I think it should focus on um, women having true, the tr- true choices to um, contribute to their families, society, and the workplace in the way that they think, they think is best. Um, I, think our, I think our society should reward um, caring work, whether that's caring for um, older people and seniors or uh, babies and, and kids uh, or just each other. Um, uh, whether that's uh, caring for your own kids or caring for someone else's kids, uh, which often um, those kind of flexible, your neighbor caring for your kids, um, uh, often those people are women and they're not rewarded by a child care uh, cradle to grave, you know, institutional child care system. And so, um, and, and I think it's okay that uh, uh, women for whatever reason choose some of those caring roles in society more often than men do. Um, uh, I think conservative feminism looks like a public policy environment that doesn't penalize women for making choices that they think are best for themselves and their families. And, um, and I don't think the liberal uh, policy framework does that.
0: Well, Ginny, I really appreciate you coming on the show. There's so many uh, interesting areas when, when it comes to family policy that don't get the proper uh, attention in the media and in society. So it's great to have this conversation. Hopefully uh, we can start having more, more and more of these kinds of conversations because it's so important. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on True North. Thanks, Candace. All right, that's Jenny Roth. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show.